From Bainbridge Island to the Villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Five out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Gail Leach, author of The Art of Pickleball, and here's the host of The Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. From the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, it's The Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris Allen, joined today by District Ambassador up in Portland, Maine, Linda Einsiedler. Hey, Linda. Hey, Chris, and howdy to all of the PBX fans down in the villages. And we'd like to welcome everybody, too, that's joining us uh, via GoToWebinar for this live taping of The Pickleball Show. Dennis, uh, Ken. Mark, Mary, Maddie, Mike. I, f- I feel like the romper room lady sometimes. <laughs> you remember that? And romper room at the end yeah. when she'd go, oh, I see Jerry and I see Paul. And and, uh, and then sometimes she'd say your name. I remember sitting there going and she'd say, I see Chris. And it's like, oh man, I'm just, I'm still in my pajamas. She's seeing me. Chris, you're dating yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are lucky enough to have today the one and only Coach Mo joining us. Hi, hey, Coach. How are you? today fine how are you doing well thank you for making time for us today on the pickleball show it's been a few months maybe almost a year since we spoke to you and uh, that is still remains to this day one of our most popular episodes so i wanted to get you back on and uh, check in with you and see what's happening down in in your world down in the villages how have things been going down there uh, this winter it's really enjoyable i have two lessons every week one on monday and thursday in different places in the villages and we have so many people that are addicted to pickleball. I tell them they're required to bring a doctor's note with them to prove they're addicted to get into my class. <laughs> and they all laugh, believe me. Now, what kind of uh, trends have you been seeing down there? Have you noticed anything the past six months, past year? Uh, any big changes? Well, they're not really big changes, but one thing I noticed that is important is that the pickleball community sent around a email of all the people that have been rated as of December 15th. and I don't sleep too well in the middle of the night, so I decided that I was going to get a piece of graph paper and keep track of every single person that was rated out of 904 men and 488 women. There was only eight women that were 5-0s and seven men were 5-0s. 45 men were 4-5 and 18 women were 4-5, which means about 5% of all the people rated were 4-5 or 5-0 mm-hmm. and 75 to 80% of the people rated were a three five or below, which shows you that it's almost like a bell-shaped curve in the classroom. If there's any teachers out there listening, they'll understand what a bell-shaped curve is. And people, recreation players, are having a ball. All you need is uh, four people on the court of equal ability, and you can have some fun. There aren't that many people that are five O's. If you're a five O player, chances are good. It's because of your age, your ability, your speed, and how much you practice, how much you decide you want to get better. I've heard that uh, some of the the older 5-0 players are having a little bit of difficulty when it's tournament time. They go to a tournament and there are so few 5-0s that uh, instead of playing, say, say a 50-plus 5-0, there aren't enough of them, so they have to just combine the whole category. So then you have them playing against 19-year-olds. You know, I mean, obviously a 19-year-old, a 25-year-old 5-0 player is not going to be the same as a 65 or a 70-year-old 5-0 player player wouldn't you agree exactly it's i correlate it to if the uh, new york yankees had three outs and the boston red sox had six <laughs> and chances are good the red sox are going to win the game because 
the Red Sox had more chances to get runs, and if somebody's twice as fast as you are, and they get to twice as many balls as you do, but you're just as good as far as your shot selection and your playing smart and your technique, the person that's quicker is probably going to win out in the long run. Yeah, with those young legs, they can run everything down. Now, one of the great things about uh, our GoToWebinar format here is that we can launch polls, and everybody uh, in the live audience can participate in the poll. I thought it would be good to to launch a poll right now, and the question is, what part of your game needs the most work? This might help guide us uh, in getting some good advice from Coach Mo. And go ahead and vote in the poll right now. The choices are the serve, the return, the third shot, the volley, or the dink. Here's a question that came in from Bob, and Bob says, My mixed partner and I do very well at our club. We play games up to nine at the club. So I guess just in order to uh, make the games move a little more quickly, they only play up to nine points. And he says, Sometimes we get stuck at 8-2, 8-3, and we can't seem to put away the game at nine. What suggestions do you have for mental toughness, or is this a mental lapse? What do you think about that, Coach Mo? What gives you mental toughness is practicing. Practice is an extension of the game, and the game is an extension of practice. If you practice when you get into those tough spots, you'll be able to handle the pressure. And don't change the game. If you got to 8-2, to two, start thinking about what got you there. Some people, they tend to get to the last point, and they try different things rather than what got them there. Whatever got you there, keep doing it, and you'll probably get that last point. And if you have a problem near the end of the game, go back and practice your problem so the next time it won't happen. Sometimes I feel like I take my foot off the gas a little bit when you're you're one or two points away. You think, all right, you know, I'm just going to coast in now. And then, boy, it comes back to bite you more times than not. Exactly. Give your opponent a chance to lose <laughs> when you get to that point. Don't beat them to the punch. Let's go ahead and close out the poll now and uh, see what everybody said. The question was, what part of your game needs the most work? And I'm going to close the poll and let's see, 55% say the volley is what needs the most work. That is the uh, the winner. After that, 27% say their third shot needs the most work and then a tie for the remaining two, the dink and the return. Uh, both at 9%. Serve, everybody's got a, a dynamite serve, so their serve uh, does not need any work. Boy, there's so many times, Coach Mo, when I hear uh, your voice in my head saying, uh, you should only miss your serve once every 30 days. <laughs> Do you remember telling me that? God will first- sin if you miss your serve. <laughs> I hit it into the net and I think, and I hear that voice and it's like, oh man, now I got to start that clock over. Actually, not even a clock, a calendar. I got to start that over again. It's like one of those when you go into the factory and it's you know, this many days without an accident. Because you don't know. If you, lo- if you miss your serve, you don't know if you lost five points, zero points, three points, unless you're clairvoyant. And the only thing the other team needs is a pulse to win the point if you miss your serve. So you should think in terms of keeping the serve in. It's the least important part of the game in doubles. Now, if you're a 5-0 player and you want to practice that serve an hour a day and you can put it within one foot of the baseline and one foot of the sideline, low to the backhand to either player, then I'd be an idiot to tell you not to do it and not miss. But the key is you can't miss your serve or you return a serve or you're in big trouble because it's going to come back and bite you in the butt at the end of the game when the game's 10-10 or 9-9. And you probably didn't realize you lost the game back when you missed your serve earlier in the, in the game. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people saying, keep your serve deep. Don't give them a chance to make that third hit as easily as possible. But what is deep? Nobody ever says what deep is. Deep could, deep could be two inches from the line, a foot from the line, five feet from the line. Deep should be, you only keep the ball as deep as you, and everybody is different, can be consistent 
and accurate. That's the key. If you can't be consistent and accurate, then back off a little bit. Give yourself a little more leeway so you don't miss the serve, but keep practicing it so that you can get it as deep as you possibly can and never miss it, and you'll be fine. And the same goes for the return? Exactly. The return's even worse because I know how many points you lost if you lose your miss your return of serve. You've lost a point, and that's 10% of all the points in the game. And if your partner decides to miss one too, that's 20% of the points. Not a good idea if the other team is as good as you are, and they don't miss their return of serve or their serve, they're probably going to beat you. Chances are very good they're going to beat you. Here's a question that came in from Mark. Mark says, how do you effectively practice without a qualified coach to give feedback? Well, a lot of people say, well, I can't practice because I can't find anybody that will practice with me. Well, all you need is one person to know the value of practice. Then you just break the game down into segments, and the game becomes an extension of practice. You just go forehand to forehand, backhand to backhand. One person's up at the net. The other one is ground stroking. One's volleying. One's ground stroke. One's lobbing. One's hitting overheads. Then you dink at every angle, cross court, both ways, and straight ahead both ways. If you break the game down, then you play points out without keeping score, and you're going to try things you're not good at. The minute you start keeping score, then the juices start flowing, and you start doing all the things you're good at. So don't keep score until you're ready to go home, and then you keep score so you play under pressure. And that's how Phil Bagley and I did that for three years. We played on half the doubles court, and we practiced, and we played points out on half the court. And we certainly didn't hurt our game, that's for sure. <laughs> I'd also like to jump in there. Like, when you're practicing, it would be good if you had one other set of eyes watching the two players practicing or drilling because as you know when you drill you can drill bad habits as well you don't have to have someone who's like an expert coach but just someone to say your paddles down paddle up paddle up or feet feet ready you know that kind of stuff just to keep them so that they're not getting sloppy and then they start drilling sloppy habits Oh, that's very good. Yes, definitely having another set of eyes. Or take some films of yourself and know, yeah. and then you can watch yourself playing. they got these GoPro cameras now. They just hook them onto the back netting on the baseline. And you can actually see and go out and get some good, a good coach to give you some good technique on how to hit the ball because two players of equal ability, if one is using good technique and tennis technique is going to help your game immensely. Let me, I'm thinking you asked me about what's new in the game. Well, I'll tell you, when I watch YouTube now, I can see all these 5-0 tennis players coming into the game, women and men, and they the game has really picked up its level over the past year or two. And tennis is pickleball, pickleball is tennis. you got the same game coming in, it's just a miniature game. But you have to be able to make the transition into pickleball from tennis because, you know, it's a different game because of the no volleys online. Believe me, I watch these guys play, and they're quick. They got good technique, and they have a good background to come into the sport with. Now, do you think that uh, these tennis players coming in, you think that that is going to eventually necessitate some sort of a change in terms of either moving the non-volley zone back, moving the baseline back, raising the net, anything like that? I really don't think so because of the fact that 75% of the people are 3-5 or below. So I don't think the game should be changed one iota. The ball shouldn't be changed. The paddle shouldn't be changed <laughs> because everybody loves the sport right now. We don't want to do the pickleball like tennis did to tennis, and they made more powerful strings, more powerful rackets, changed the whole game. People now don't serve and volley anywhere near as much as they used to. Now they're just at the baseline, ripping the ball, and then the steadiest player, the most accurate player, and the one with the most uh, endurance ends up winning, rather than serve and volleying and see the volley part of the game. 
What's your question for Coach Mo? You can go ahead and type it in the question box here, or you can raise your hand and I will be able to unmute your microphone. Here's a question from Mike Curry. Mike says, how can we get more people rated who can rate other players? Linda, what do you think about that? That's a hard one. My feeling is these players have to have played at the national level. They have to know what a 3-5 is, a 4-0, 4-5, before they're allowed to rate other players. So I would say rate by committee. I do rating around the United States. When I give clinics around the United States, I really don't try and do it, but people ask me because they it's a personal thing. The person in charge or whoever's the ambassador doesn't really want to do the rating for the people in their own club. I just have them fill out a sheet. I ask their age, number of years they've played the game, what they think they are. They self-rate themselves. Then I ask them, do you have a consistent third shot? Yes or no. Actually, do you have a third shot? Is it consistent? Yes or no. Have you played in an advanced or open level tournament, state, regional, or national? Have you won any medals? And if you played in any intermediate tournament, yes or no, and have you won any medals? Then how many minutes a week do you practice? Without ever seeing a person play, I could come very close to figure out what their ability level is. Because if they don't have a third shot in the villages, generally, if they don't have a third shot, they won't get to be 4-0 players. They have to have a consistent third shot to be a 4-0 player. So that's what I do. And then I feed them backhands because you can tell if a player is a player just by their backhand. Because if you've never seen anybody play before ever at every level, at the 5-0 level down to the 2-0 level, low to the backhand is usually their weakest spot. Tournament play is the best way to decide whether a person is whatever they are. Seeing them for about 15, 20 minutes isn't going to be the best way to, to decide because you don't know how mentally tough they are and how well they play in an actual pressure situation. If they have a bunch of medals, like there's one lady I rated, she had about a draw full of 4 medals from Virginia, and I rated her 3-5. Then she showed me a draw full of 4 medals at her local tournaments, and who the hell am I to tell her? that she's not a 4-0 player if she's got a draw full of medals. So I gave her a 4-0 rating. And that's the way they do it in tennis. If you win tournaments, you automatically get bumped up. And if you get bumped up and you start losing all the time, they'll allow you to drop back down to where you were. So that's it's a good way to rate somebody. I've got a strategy question for you, Coach Mo. Or actually, I guess it's more of a technique question. Sometimes a ball will be coming in and, you know, you have that moment of indecision where you think, should I take it in the air or should I let it bounce? And let's say you decide, I'm going to let it bounce. And it bounces and it, it's too close to you. You get a little bit jammed up and you think, ah, you know what? I should have taken it in the air, but it's too late now. It's already bounced. It's too close to your body. What's the best way to get out of that situation? Well, it's not to get into the situation, <laughs> but if it happens, yeah. you can use your wrist. And I use my left hand too as well that's on the face of the paddle to get under the ball and hit up on the ball and drop it back into the kitchen. But to avoid that situation is your ready position. If you have your ready position out in front of you, way out in front of you, not in close to your body, out in front of you, Mm -hmm. and every time the person touches the ball, you should be saying to yourself, is this ball going to land at my left heel or at my toes? If you decide it's going to land at your toes, then you just drop the head of your paddle and drop it softly into the kitchen and don't get yourself in a position where you have to step back and hit the ball or try and dig it out of your toes. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's not a high percentage thing to do. But sometimes even I don't read it properly and it ends up at my heel and I'm able to dig it out by getting under the ball, not hitting it straight ahead because it'll go right in the net. And that's what I do. Every time, I, 80% of the time, I'm going for the left person's left heel to put him in that situation 
So they have to think about what they're doing, and chances are they're either going to miss it or cough it up. Uh, 80% down the middle is the way to go if you want to put somebody in that predicament all the time. Not 100%, 80 Coach Mo has uh, agreed to stick around for another episode as well. So if we didn't get to your question in this episode, chances are we can get to it in the next episode. Coach Mo down in the villages, Linda Einsiedler in Portland, Maine. Thank you both, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. My pleasure. And you can find everything that Coach Mo is up to at his website, pickleballcoach.com. We will link to that in the show notes, pickleballcoach.com. Dot com And that includes the upcoming DVD, Pickleball Clinics 2, Percentage Pickleball. You can pre-order your copy right now. Another website you need to check out right away is PickleballSummit.com. That's PickleballSummit.com. The ultimate pickleball training event is coming up in Charlotte, North Carolina, July 15th, 16th, 17th. You can share the court with national champions Matthew Blom and Sarah Ansberry, TOC Masters champion Matt Staub, and the pickleball guru, Prem Carnot. It's going to be a great weekend, and we want you there. April is the best time to get your tickets. You've got less than a week now if you're listening to this podcast the week that it airs. You can buy one ticket in the month of April and get a second ticket for half price. That's right. Bring a partner for half price. This deal goes away at the end of April. So head over to PickleballSummit.com right now. I'm Chris Allen. This is The Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.